And today we are in Luke chapter 18, verse 35 down to verse 43. This is what God's word says. As he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Amen. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, we ask that by your spirit, that you would illuminate our eyes that we might behold the glory of your gospel in the face of Jesus Christ help us to see him help us to behold him to trust him to obey him and to live for him we ask in his name amen during Jesus' earthly ministry and all of his teaching he sometimes spoke in very puzzling ways through paradoxical statements. For instance, you would often say, as you probably well know, he who has ears, let him hear. And at first glance, it sounds kind of strange because, well, if I have ears, and of course I hear, but that was actually precisely the point, that you can hear, you might have physical ears to hear, but not really hear. It's not registering in your mind and heart. You're not really listening. You're hearing, but not listening and understanding and obeying. And so the point of what Jesus was saying every time he said that was, consider how you are hearing, with what attitude. Well, in a similar vein, in John chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus made this statement, especially speaking of the Pharisees. He said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. A very strange irony of reversal that only the blind would be able to see. And those who see won't be able to see. Well, why would Jesus say this? What did he mean by this? Well, it's because the blind are the only ones who see that they are blind. Only the blind who know themselves to be spiritually blind are those who can really see that they are lost in darkness. And so they will call out for the divine supernatural light to illuminate their darkened hearts. Whereas those who think that they can see just fine are actually the blindest of them all. Because the fact of the matter is the whole world is fallen and everyone is a sinner lost in darkness. You know, you can really tell if someone is blind, if something's wrong with their eyes, if it's pitch black, imagine this whole room just turned pitch black. And you can't even see your own finger and your hand in front of you. But you can tell if someone is blind, 
If that happens, then they think nothing is wrong. Oh, this is normal. Everything is just fine. What's the, what's the commotion? My life is swell just the way it is. Well, that's because all you know, evidently, is darkness. But for those who do have eyes to see, they can see the darkness that they are in. And thus, by faith, they see Christ as the light of the world that he is. And this is so vividly illustrated in this healing of the blind beggar. Mind you, this man is literally physically blind. Whether he was born that way or it happened later in life, we don't know. But what we do know is that his vision was totally impaired. He was unable to see. He could see nothing but darkness from his eyes. And yet, it turns out that this blind beggar had more sight than anyone. He could see more clearly than anybody. Why? Because he saw himself clearly. And so he saw Christ clearly. Even though he was physically blind, in his encounter with Jesus, his spiritual vision was 20-20. And the account begins in verse 35, as Jesus was near Jericho, and we're told of this blind man by the roadside begging. And it's a very pitiful picture. Being blinded that day, the only thing that he could do was beg for a living on this side of a road. But day after day, he'd be sitting there in complete darkness of vision. And whenever he'd hear some footsteps go by, he would just be muttering his regular plea for food, for alms. But on this particular day, as he sat by the roadside, he heard more than just a few footsteps. It sounded rather like a marching band of people, a stampede bustling with excitement and hub hub. And wondering what this could be, the blind man asked the crowd what was going on. And they told him, well, haven't you heard? Jesus of Nazareth is coming through our town. Now keep in mind that at this point, we're at the tail end of Jesus's earthly ministry. His public popularity was sky high. At this point, they had three years of witnessing his teaching. The innumerable instances of him performing miracles, healing, and all kinds of extraordinary acts of divine power. And so whenever Jesus came to the vicinity of a town, it was as if everyone stopped what they were doing. Because this was the opportunity of a lifetime. What is he going to say or, or, or do this time? Let's go see. And so the blind beggar heard all these things from the crowds. And whether he already knew of Jesus or he heard of him for the first time and heard all the recounting of his wondrous deeds, what's evident is that he believed who Jesus was. He believed Jesus to be the promised Messiah, the one anointed by the Spirit of God to save his people. And so his life's eyes lifted up in hope. And although he couldn't see where Jesus was, he didn't even know what Jesus looked like. He didn't even know who to call out for. It says in verse 38, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And actually, Mark's account makes it clear that he began calling out, meaning he was doing it over and over again. He's calling out, hoping that he would hear. Again, the, the crowd would have been enormous as usual. He heard hundreds, if not thousands of footsteps. He wasn't sure if Jesus was 10 feet away or 100 feet away. But it was in this desperation of his need that he cried out into the air, trusting that Jesus would hear somehow. 
that his cries would reach Jesus' ears and that Jesus' ears would be attuned to such cries. It's as David said in Psalm 18.6, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. And from his temple he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. That's the cry of faith. You don't have to know where he is. You just have to know and trust that he knows where you are. And that he'll never pass by a cry for mercy. And so he cried out for Jesus. And what's especially revealing about this man is this detail in verse 39. uh, That when he cried out for Jesus, those who were in front of the brigade rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out, all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And what does it take for a man who, when met with frowns and public rebuke, being told to hush because you're embarrassing yourself and just stay quiet on the sidelines, for this man to still cry out more and more in open shamelessness? What drove him to ignore the crowd's rebuke and only raise his voice higher to the ears of Christ? Well, simply this. They said, be quiet, stop embarrassing yourself. But by his actions, he was saying, I don't care, I need him. I'm desperate for Jesus to come to me, to tend to me. Nothing else really matters. You see, this blind man, he knew his real condition. Poor, helpless, pitiable. It's because he knew it so well. Not just cognitively, but actually he believed it. He knew himself to be it. That he cried out the way he did. With persistence. With shamelessness. Because if he was blind to anything in this moment, he was blind to his pride. Oh, how many of us are all too seeing, all too aware of the voices of the crowds. And that's our blind spot, isn't it? Our fear of man. It makes us lose our way many times. It makes us behave as though we were blind, unable to walk in just a simple straight line because we're always hopping over eggshells. But this beggar, he was blind to the crowds. And thus he could see himself more clearly and speak straight to Christ. Because what he saw in himself was his own humiliating state, that he was nothing but a beggar before Christ. You know, being blind in that day, he was unable to work for a living. He was unable to provide for himself. He was the polar opposite of a self-sufficient man. Someone who had no problem begging out in the open for Jesus' mercy. And knowing this about himself, the blind man, in fact, could see into the mirror with spiritual clarity. Whereas so many in the crowds... Though their physical eyes were just fine, they were really blind to themselves. And you know, this is why Jesus loved healing all kinds of disabled, disordered men and women. The blind, the paralyzed, the lame. Because it was all such vivid symbols of the gospel. As Jesus said earlier in chapter 5, verse 31, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And all these healing miracles were living parables. Jesus was trying to show everyone, especially the self-made, self-sufficient, self-righteous Pharisees, that they were the same in spirit. 
No one is anything apart from the sheer mercy of God in Christ. And isn't this exactly how Jesus rebukes the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3? He says there, For you say, you think yourself to be, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are in fact wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Evidently, the congregation in Laodicea was filled with people who were spiritually proud, self-righteous. Yeah, on the outside, you, you see just fine. Yeah, you have plenty of clothing. You're all good to go. But Jesus knows what we all really are on the inside. He can see the secret darkness within all of us. But what does he then say to that church of Laodicea? Does he leave them in the condemnation of judgment? No, he says, this is what you really are. You don't realize it. But listen, and so I counsel you to buy from me gold, true gold, true riches, so that you might be rich and to have white garments so that you might clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you might see. And he says, those whom I love I reprove and discipline and so be zealous and repent. Jesus was calling the church to humble repentance. He wasn't calling them to an act of repentance, but he was calling them to an attitude of repentance, an attitude of humility, a spirit of contrition, which comes from realizing what you really are before God, a sinner saved by grace and a sinner still being sustained and upheld by daily grace. His mercies which are new every morning. You know, one of the essential marks that a Christian is really spiritually maturing is that he kind of becomes more horrified with himself in a weird way. Not in a self-destructive manner where you just beat yourself up, but in a way where as the years go by, you're, you're growing in greater depth to comprehend the love of Christ and you're growing in your love and worship of him. And yet at the same time, you're strangely becoming more discouraged with yourself. Do you feel like this at times, Christian? I hope so. Because that's the effect of sanctification. Why does this happen? It's because by the grace of God, the eyes of your heart are growing to behold more and more of the light of God's glory. And as your eyes behold and receive more light and as your soul becomes more enlightened by his glory what that produces in you is a greater sensitivity to notice every speck of darkness which undoubtedly dwells within more than you can imagine you're just becoming more aware of it it was always there but the fact that you're growing in sensitivity to your own darkness what powerful evidence of the Spirit of God at work within you. And God uses it to keep us humble, contrite in spirit, and be ever dependent on His mercy and grace. He is helping us to abide in Him. 
You know, it's funny, whenever people come to me for counsel and they're just discouraged with themselves, I mean, it's like they almost want to crawl out of their own skin. As I'm listening to it all, I genuinely think in my own heart, well, that's good. Looks like you're doing all right spiritually in the big scheme of things. And of course, I'm not going to leave people there. Oh, yeah, yeah, just keep feeling miserable. No, I, mean, I want to encourage them to, to lift up their eyes to behold the faithfulness of Christ and the assurance of his steadfast love. But seriously, I, I, I tend to worry a lot less about people who are brokenhearted. Because Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Because apparently the Lord has been sanctifying you, growing you in the mind of Christ, to think after His thoughts, to see through His eyes. And that's why you're so grieved by your own spiritual weakness. And you want so badly to honor Him better and to grow in His likeness. I'm thankful for all the brokenhearted. I praise God for the poor in spirit. They're the greatest blessings to God's church. And that's what we all must be. But instead, to the contrary, the most concerning are those who apparently have everything put together. They're just fine. They need nothing from God. Well, aside from the occasional intervention for, for sickness, for financial concerns, for family matters, what have you. But otherwise, they have no thought to consider their own spiritual health. There's hardly any introspection into their own soul. No real desire to grow to know Christ more deeply. To grow in His likeness more richly. They're just not aware of their own soul before God. And could it be that such people are actually blind, like the Laodiceans? Church, let us never forget that to be a Christian is to be poor in the spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit, Psalm thirty-four, eighteen. Again, this doesn't mean that you should live each day artificially afflicting yourself, as though cursing yourself and calling yourself stupid ten times a day is the way to holiness. God is not telling His people to be self-destructive and self-mutilating. But He's calling His people to be humble. And to always know what we really are before Him. That we might be utterly dependent on His mercy and grace each and every day. And that's what was so remarkable about this blind beggar. How quick and unashamed he was to beg for Christ. And to need all of Christ. He knew himself to be a desperate recipient of his grace and kindness. And as such, though being blind, he could see Christ more clearly than the crowds did that day. Notice what he calls Jesus. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And to call Jesus the son of David was to acknowledge him as the Messiah, the fulfillment of God's promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, that through David's descendant, God would establish an everlasting kingdom. And so by affirming Jesus as the son of David, the, this blind man was putting his faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Savior, the King, the long-awaited Messiah. And it's interesting how when he asks the crowds, what's going on, what's all this commotion about, they tell him in verse 37 Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, Jesus of Nazareth was effectively his full legal name, his human name, if you will. 
And back then you had a first name. And for all practical purposes, your last name was either who was your father, like John, the son of Zebedee, because Zebedee was well known in the town where he was at. So that's how people knew you, the son of Zebedee, because there are other Johns. Or it was where you were from. For instance, Joseph of Arimathea. Arimathea was a Jewish town. There were many Josephs. Ah, that Joseph, the one from Arimathea. And so Jesus of Nazareth was his ordinary human name. It would be what would show up on his driver's license. Or perhaps it would also Jesus, son of Joseph, son of Mary. That's what they would call him. It's not this, the carpenter, the son of Mary, they said. And so to the crowds, he was just Jesus of Nazareth, just a man, an impressive man, a good teacher, a spiritual man. Oh, sure, he does amazing miracles. It's fascinating. Well, yeah, God must be using him somehow. Maybe he's, he's another prophet. But they never put the two and two together. They were blind, so many of them, even though the glory of Christ was shining before their eyes. Who is this? The disciples could see that even the winds and the waves obey him. And here was this blind man who could see, who knew through the eyes of faith that Jesus was the son of David, the promised Messiah of whom all the prophets of old foretold. He was the true and greater David that Hosea said was yet to come. He was the ultimate David of whom Ezekiel spoke, the David who is yet to come, who would shepherd God's people and be prince over them. And then it was the same Ezekiel who also prophesied, thus says the Lord, I myself will shepherd my people. This Jesus of Nazareth was was the son of David, whom God himself would send as himself. He was no mere man, but the very power and presence and glory of God come down to earth. Now why else did the beggar think to cry out to Jesus? Why else would he ask Jesus to recover his sight? He would never have asked that to one of the Pharisees. He would never have made this request to even the high priest at the temple. But only to Jesus, whom he believed to be in the category of other, of divine nature. I'm sure maybe he wouldn't have known to articulate the mystery of the Incarnation. But he knew and believed with hope and certainty that Jesus was the Christ. Amidst the enormous crowd, this blind man was the one who saw Jesus for who he really was and is. And as he kept crying for Jesus in spite of the crowd shutting him down, it says in verse 40 that Jesus stopped. I love that. Look at how attentive he is to anyone who calls out to him. Remember last Sunday, we saw how Jesus really knew that his hour was coming near. As he was coming near to Jericho, he knew that he would soon go up to Jerusalem, where he would go to the cross to suffer on behalf of sinners, be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon and killed. And so in his true humanity, he looked upon the cross from afar with dread. The road to Calvary consumed his mind and heart so much so that yet one more time he shared with the twelve what was to happen. 
And in some sense, at this point, we would be inclined to think, well, hey, you know, Jesus is really busy, actually. I mean, for good reason. It's the last leg before the cross. I mean, he's focused. He's determined. But the cries for mercy from the lips of a blind beggar were sufficient to make him stop. This is what God is like. So attuned to all who call upon him in need. And Jesus told the crowd to bring the beggar to him. And when the man came to him, Jesus asked this most interesting question. Verse 41. What do you want me to do for you? Strange. What do you mean? What do you want me to do for you? Here's a man before he's saying, oh, Jesus, are you there? I mean, I think it's pretty clear what he wants for you to do for him. I mean, can't you tell that he's blind? Of course Jesus knew that he was blind. Of course he knew that's what the man wanted. But here he is guiding this blind man to verbally articulate his soul's desires. Not because Jesus didn't know, but it was for the man's sake that he might have an opportunity to then and there express his faith and trust in Jesus. Christian, doesn't he do the same with us? Doesn't he guide us in this way? You know, sometimes things happen in our lives and we find ourselves just thinking in our own hearts. Why is this happening? What is God doing through this? Why is God doing this to me? And we're always talking about God in the third person. And through it all, the Lord is saying to us, what do you want me to do for you? Tell me. And so often we're too busy being confused or frustrated that we hardly think to come before God. And express to him our innermost thoughts and struggles. But beloved, God brings about all kinds of circumstances to guide us in prayer. To teach us to articulate our petitions to him. That we might through it see more clearly the goodness and sufficiency of Christ in our lives. And so here look at how pleased Jesus is to hear the words of the needy. As the man says, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus responds with a command. Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. This is the power and authority of the one who is the son of David. And the blessing of trusting in him. The man requested, make me see. And Jesus said, see. And immediately his eyes were opened. And here is how we know that this blind man could really see Jesus for who he is. He recovered his sight. And then what? What happened? Did he say, thank you, sir, and walked away like nine of the ten lepers who were healed and had no interest in Jesus? No, he saw the true glory of Christ. As it says in verse 43, he recovered his sight And followed him, glorifying God. And everyone else saw and praised God. His eyes were open to behold the face of the one who saved him. And he saw Jesus to be so worthy of all his trust and obedience and worship. He followed Christ for the rest of his days. In fact, it's interesting. In Mark's account, in chapter 10, verse 46... 
as he describes this scene, Mark gives to us the name of this blind beggar. He tells us that his name is Bartimaeus. Now, that's nice, I guess. It's an extraneous detail. But no, the way that Mark writes it, he gets very specific. This wasn't just a random guy named Bartimaeus, one of many Bartimaeuses. But Mark notes that this was Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus. That's strangely very specific. Who is Timaeus, his father? Who cares? Who knows? Not us. But apparently, the original readers did. The immediate audience in the first century to whom Mark sent his gospel account. Which probably tells us that Bartimaeus must have been a well-known member of the early church. Years after this incident, when Mark was writing his gospel, Bartimaeus was still faithfully following his Lord, who opened his eyes. Think of how much he must have loved Jesus, following him to the end, serving his people, devoting himself to the church. And by the way, let this show that you cannot follow Christ apart from being a member of his church. I suppose by God's providence, we just announced membership, the next round of membership and the applications today. This wasn't planned. I mean, this is just what's here. Again, we're reminded that you can't follow Christ the head without being part of his body. You can't separate the two. To follow Christ is to love his church and to be his church. And so here with Bartimaeus, what a living testimony of one who encountered the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. A poor, helpless, blind beggar who on that day on the road near Jericho, he cried out to Jesus and he heard his cry and answered him. And how happy he must have been to see and behold the one who saved him. And he didn't know it at the time. But can you imagine that Bartimaeus, after this incident, he would later find out all that Jesus had done for him, more than just healing his blindness on that day, because he had eventually learned and testified to others how just a couple weeks later, the son of David would go to the cross, bearing his sins for him. And how thankful he must have been that Jesus stopped for him that day, not just because his eyes were healed, but because he could begin to follow Jesus and witness the ultimate healing that Christ came to bring to him and to all who look to him for mercy. Like if you're here this morning and you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, listen to the testimony of the life of Bartimaeus. That Christ is the truth and light to a darkened world. That he is the hope of the forgiveness of sin, the hope of eternal life. And the only way to come to know the God who created you and to be known by Him. You might be blind, but the true light is already shining before you in the person of Jesus Christ and the truth of all that He has done for sinners. You might be blind, but you can come to Him now. Come to the light before you. You have been brought to the light as you are before His Word the unfolding of which imparts light and gives understanding to the simple. 
If you feel too lost and too blind, just cry out to him and he'll come to you. He will open your eyes. Look, God doesn't call sinners to unveil their own eyes. But he calls sinners to call out to him, even while in their blindness, and just to confess their darkness to him. You know, all of this just makes me remember how God saved me. I grew up in the church, but I was blind as a spiritual bat. My goodness, I didn't even know it. Uh, but sometime in high school, the Lord graciously saved me when I came really face to face with what the Bible actually said, written plainly in the text of Scripture. It wasn't some secret hidden knowledge, but the light plainly shining forth through the truth of God's word, which told me that God is infinitely and perfectly holy. Well, that was a revelation. I didn't know that until I saw that. And I knew that I was a hopeless sinner. Despite all my church going and moral efforts, that I was no different than the most heinous man or woman on earth. That before God's infinite holiness, all have sinned and all fall short of his glory. And all it took was the simple basic truth to show me and illuminate my darkened heart that I was in fact a bankrupt beggar before God, that I deserved nothing but his wrath, that I was entitled to nothing good from him, and that I was right, that that was just. But only when I understood the beggar that I really was, then did my eyes open to see the beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ, that he took my place on the cross and took God's wrath for me. And that's why he suffered so much. And he did it all to save a wretch like me. And for once in my life, in that moment of illumination, I actually loved him. I never loved him before. For the first time, I actually wanted to know him and follow him in life and even unto death. And listen, all I remember at that time was all of a sudden, it was like the lights came on in my mind and heart. I never knew that they were off until they came on. And it felt like I had gone from seeing and thinking and living in black and white and all of a sudden to color. I could see the colors of his glory and what was so beautiful about him. Again, I had no idea I was so blind the whole time until the light of the glory of Christ came on. And it was only later in my years as I grew in my understanding of Scripture that when I read 2 Corinthians 4 that the minds of unbelievers have been blinded from seeing the light of the glory of God, but God has shown in our hearts the light of that knowledge of God's glory in the face of Christ. And when I read that, I thought, oh yeah, that explains it. That's exactly what happened to me. That's a really good way to describe it. And this is my point is this. I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't even know how blind I was. But the only thing I did know in that moment was that I was truly a dark-hearted sinner before God. And yet God had done such a wondrous thing for me through Christ. And I just called for mercy. And that was enough. For the Lord to open the eyes of this blind man, me. Friends, he can do the same for you as he did for me, as he did for Bartimaeus. 
as he has done for so many blind, poor, and pitiful sinners. Just come to the light and receive the plain, visible truth of Jesus Christ as the merciful Savior and gracious Master. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great pity and compassion upon this lost and darkened world. That you send forth your Son as the light of the world, a light to the nations, to expose our true darkness of sin, and yet to be the sunrise with healing on its wings, to go into the darkness of death for us and the abyss of receiving your just wrath that we might be brought once in darkness now into your marvelous light. Thank you for the gospel. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to continue to abide in Christ and to walk in the light as children of the light. And Father, we thank you so much for this gift of the Lord's Supper in this bread and the cup by which we see and we are, we are shown so plainly as a visible sign of the gospel what Christ has done for us and the light of hope that he is for even now as believers who struggle with sin and that in us remains still the the remnant and vestige of darkness and sin. But Lord, would we come now as we receive it by faith and be reminded and reassured that we are indeed children of light and that we would behold you and your mercy by faith, that we would learn to be those who continually cry out for your mercy. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.